So something about today, before I even read it, I guess, I'll tell you is that today is a big, Acts 13, I'm going to say everything's a big deal, but Acts 13 is a huge thing because it's the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus made before he even sent the Holy Spirit to the church. Okay, and it's easy to miss this stuff when you're reading the book of Acts. You're like, okay, it, it sounds like it's the same story over and over, but um, it's unique, and it's the revelation of God is happening amongst God's people, and it's important to know that. And so I'm going to share with you this promise. I think I have it up here. Yeah, this is from Acts 1.8. I want to remind you what Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended into heaven, right? So he's, he's uh, was, died on the cross, uh, had been buried, had been raised to new life, and then was teaching for 40 days and then began to instruct the disciples. And this is what he said. I just want to remind us of what we've, what we've come from so far into the 13th chapter of Acts here. The Lord said, but you'll receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, that's interesting, and you will be my witnesses, and here it is, in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria. Remember, we've talked about that happening. And now, to the very ends of the earth. And so what we find today in Acts chapter 13 is the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning, the beginning of the end of the promise of Jesus Christ for his people, okay? That he's going to use people like us to go and spread the good news to the entire world like that's his point and i just don't want to miss the fact as we get into the word today that jesus's promises have been kept to the church it might seem chaotic it might seem haphazard but god has an absolute purpose in what he's doing and here we find in acts 13 the continuation of fulfillment of the promises of jesus christ as he made that promise, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you to the very ends of the earth. If you want to turn to uh, Acts chapter 13, we're going to read this, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about what the Word says. So uh, let me see if I... There we go. Acts 13, page 768, starting in verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. There's five dudes there. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands upon them and they sent them off. Verse 4, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. They then arrived at Salamis and they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul was an intelligent man, and he had sent for Paul and Barnabas because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamias, the sorcerer, because that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamias and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of the, all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. And you are going to be blind and for a time 
For a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. And immediately a mist of darkness came upon him, and he groped about seeking someone who could lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw this, all had happened, he believed because he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we come into your house rightly recognizing your presence. We come before you today as your people gathered rightly in awe of who you are. Father God, we, we give you thanks and praise for the work of your Holy Spirit in your church. We pray this morning that the work continues in us, that you would have your way through the power of your gospel in our hearts and minds and lives. And we pray, Father God, in the middle of this ordinary summer, this ordinary day, in this ordinary school, that it will be sanctified for your purpose. Father God, would you speak to your people who are seeking you? Would you have um, wisdom and insight and uh, reignite a flame and re-impassion us for the gospel cause? Would you help us to um, be willing to go when you send us? Father, I pray for the inspiration of your word today, not just that we could, uh, uh, could say it right, but that it would be clear, but that we would hear it right, and it would, it would be meaningful to us, and we would be changed because we've encountered you. Ultimately, Father, what we need to live this next week of life faithfully is to an encounter with you, to, to know you. So would you do that work for your glory and our good? We depend upon you for it. We don't deserve it. We thank you so much for salvation that's poured out for us, undeserving sinners we are. May you be glorified. As your word is proclaimed, may it not return empty. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said that we, we are now at the beginning of this fulfillment of the promise to the very ends of the earth, right? And uh, I, I wanted to talk just for a minute as we get into this about the reality of how this comes about. You'll remember, as you've heard over the last few weeks, that like, you know, Paul had this conversion experience and everyone's still afraid of Paul. Barnabas was sent and they spent a year, and I love that Lance, I think Lance covered that, they spent a year in Antioch, the church there, growing in the Lord and training one another up. And we pick up that story here today in, in the church in Antioch. See, we kind of took a little hiatus there um, following the life of Peter and what's happening. Now we're back to Paul. If I, my math is correct. The last time we heard from Paul was in Acts 9, right? So the, the, the ministry, the, tra the tra transformation of Paul and the conversion, the experience. But now we have Paul and Barnabas amongst believers at Antioch. And so I want to kind of jump right in this morning and talk about some, some signs or some, signs not the right word, can we think of a signs being a miracle, but some markers of Christian people. And it's the first thing I have on your sheet there, and it says that Christian leaders fast and pray. <laughs> Christian leaders fast and pray, right? You'll see it right there at the beginning. It says, In the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, by the way. We'll talk about that just for a second. And Saul. And so what, don't get lost in the names in that. What I want you to know is there were five prophets and teachers amongst the church in Antioch. See, it wasn't just one. We always think about Paul, like, oh, look at Paul, what he's doing. But he's always amongst a group of believers who are doing the will of God together. Paul, I don't know if he's ever, like, alone doing ministry that I can think of. He's always amongst other believers. And we have these five people. But I want to point out a few things as well. In the church, these leaders, and by the way, you could probably strike the word leaders and just say Christians fast and pray. I'm not trying to be exclusive when I say Christian leaders fast and pray. But I think Christians are called to fast and pray. Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you can say, you can use any combination of those words up there. And it's true. Christian leaders fast and pray. 
So, so we have in this church five leaders. What I want you to notice is, remember Barnabas is from Cyrene, I believe, and he's a Levite. And then you have um, Simeon called Niger, right, which means black, and it means he was probably an African person by descent, by lineage. And then you have Lucius of Cyrene, another Cyrenian. And then you have Manin, which I would love to know the backstory, and I don't know it this morning, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Remember, Herod was one who was persecuting the Christians and persecuting Jesus and, you know, had... John the Baptist's head on a platter, like that's that guy. And someone who had come up with him ends up in the church in Antioch. So that's the third dude. And then you have, uh, or the fourth dude, and then you have Saul, right? This former um, uh, persecutor of the church. And so something we should notice right away is that in the church is an eclectic mix of people that God is using for his purpose. They're not the same race of people. They're not the same uh, heritage of people. Like, I think one of these dudes is a, um, is a Gentile. I mean, they're from different, they're Jewish and non-Jewish. There's this glamoration of faith. They've been studying and kind of for a year, kind of seeking the Lord. And, uh, and it's important to recognize that, that that's normal Christianity because so much of our Christianity does not look like that. We think we have to all look the same and act the same and be the same, but that's not what we find in the gospel here. And Saul, lastly. But then look at verse 2. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, now I've told you already, they were together for a year growing in the Lord, right? Often we think like, I, maybe you don't read it that way, but I read it like they were finally together worshiping and praying, you know, or worshiping and fasting. But there's this idea that they were pursuing the Lord fervently for a season, for a time, for a period of, of their life. That, that it wasn't like they were like, well, if it doesn't work by Tuesday, we're out of here. They were faithfully following Jesus with their lives together, doing all the things he had taught them to do, preaching in the synagogue, sharing the good news with one another and with others who don't yet believe, and um, proclaiming the gospel. And so you have this kind of reality that they're worshiping the Lord. And that just means like celebrating who he is and fasting. I just want to say something real quick. It, a lot of times, man, and I was telling you, we get this wrong so much in church world. Like this morning is not for you and this morning is not for me. And I'm not saying that to be like, I know, right? But we, a lot of times I go to church, I'm like, man, I hope I get something this morning. I hope this is a blessing for you this morning. And I'm reminded this morning that this gathering and the gatherings like it all across the world. We got a church across the street. We got four or five downtown. We got churches all over this community. We got churches all over the world, right? That these gatherings are not for the people that, they're, that are in them. It's for the Lord, they were worshiping the Lord, right? Like, if you find yourself like, ah, this is boring, just remind yourself that you're talking to the creator of the universe this morning. Like, that that's why you're here. I'm not talking about when I'm preaching at you. Now the pastor's preaching, the Lord's speaking. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying when we are singing songs of his faithfulness and his glory, when we, when we greet and we hug each other, whatever, we remind each other of how valuable we are in the eyes of Jesus Christ who died that we'd be free, that's worshiping God, you know? So if you need to wake up this morning and say, oh, yeah, that's right. It's the Lord, the one who died to save us. That's who we worship this morning. And what that is all to say that the church in Antioch, just like the church at Highland at Family Bible Church, is for the glory of God. It's for his worship because he's worthy to be worshiped. It means we ought to have some holy pause. It means we ought to get on our face a little bit and, and not just go, well, that wasn't very good for me, right? Like this, God, is this for your glory? This is for you, for your people, right? Would you glorify yourself amongst us? Would you make yourself known that our hearts would leap within us? That's what leaders do. They worship, and then they fast. 
And now, I'm going to give you a really uh, deep explanation of what fasting means from the Greek. It means they weren't eating. <laughs> you know, sometimes you dig into where you're like, oh, you know what it's going to mean? It really means no food in your mouth, right? They're waiting. Now I want to break this out just for a second and we'll move on. But there's this thing about fasting that we, we act as if I don't know how many of us really fast on a normal basis, right? And um, we know it's normative for a Christian. You go, well, why are these guys fasting, right? But to remember, there's a couple of accounts in the Gospel of Matthew, one where the, apost where the disciples of John come to Jesus' disciples and said, why aren't you fasting? So there was a bit of, in the Jewish tradition, a, a, a normalcy to fasting for periods that you might seek God's will or God's purposes or glorify God in some way. But rather than, Jesus answered and he said, why would they fast when they're with me, right? Because the bridegroom is here. I am the word. I am the bread. I am the food. Why would they fast now? But you know what he says? But they will fast. Oh, more than that. I think this is in Matthew 6, 6. He says, when you fast, don't fast like the Pharisees. See, he doesn't say don't fast. Oh, when you do it, don't, don't put on a long face. You know, he says, anoint your head with oil and wash your face and, and, and live your life. Because God who sees what is done in secret will, will glorify, will, will bless you because of that. Because it's for him. Nobody knows you're fasting. Maybe that's why I don't know any of you fast. But I want to say this morning, that's a normal part of Christian experience. Now, now let me talk about it practically for a minute. We almost intrinsically know that fasting is different or or holy in some way, because as creatures, our tendency is not to stop eating ever, let alone give up water. Like, nobody does that normally, naturally. It's a supernatural thing to stop eating. Matter of fact, if you remember, there's been times in our history, recent history even, where people have stopped eating, and everyone says, oh, no, no, please eat, please eat, please eat. But there are times as well um, whenever we have something really tragic happen in our lives. I've been through something one time where I couldn't eat for two days. That's a big deal for me because I can almost always eat. <laughs> no, I couldn't eat. I, I, it made me sick. Food made me sick. You know, I'm reminded of what Jesus said. He said when he saw the state of them, their, his stomach t turned. He got, he got nauseous when he saw the state of things, right? There's this reality that, that we know from human experience when things are a big deal, we, we can't even eat. The flip side would be if we think something is going to be a big deal, or if we're experiencing something that's a big deal, we could stop eating to pay attention to it. I know many people who fasted, they disciplined themselves to fast, not for high holiness, not so others could see them, but so they could seek the Lord in something. They could find out maybe God's will. How many of us say those things? God, I just, I just wish... I just wish I knew what you wanted for my life. I, I, I just wish you would tell me what was next. How many of us say that prayer... But don't ever stop to really be holy, like reverent before the Lord and say, I'm going to stop eating until I hear from you. Or I'm going to stop eating. I mean, I'm just going to wait. I do something totally unnatural. I'm going to stop because I need you more than I need food. It's radical. That's what we see as normal for the early church. Look, they were worshiping and fasting. It's part of the normal thing. And look what happens. While they were worshiping and fasting, 
the Holy Spirit said. I mean, in the moment, in the middle of them doing this thing that we can assume they've been doing for a while, right? In the middle of this, God reveals himself. The Holy Spirit speaks. And I want you to see what he says. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Set apart for me. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit, self-referring, me. Set those two apart from me for my purposes. This is what you're fasting, you're seeking the Lord. This is what the Lord's going to say to you. Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul so that they can do the work which I have called them to do. So the Holy Spirit has called them to do work and they're going to do it. Now look, so after they had, here it is again, fasted and prayed. See, this is a, now they're seeking the Lord. They're here from the Lord. They're seeking the Lord. They then placed their hands on them and they sent them off. This is where we get the model of what we do at Family Bible Church sometimes. When we've sent missionaries into the field, we've sent uh, short-term missionaries. We've, we've sent people off to college. We've sent people onto other churches that we call them up here. If they let us do it, we call them up here and we say, what's going on? Tell us about it. Let's seek the Lord out. Let's pray. And then we lay hands on them. We place hands on them, right? That's not some weird like, eh, but we're just obedient to this. And they, they put hands on, on Saul and on Barnabas and they prayed as they fasted. You know at Family Bible Church, we do that. You've seen it before. But do we fast? I'm asking that question for real. Do we take that that seriously when we're sending someone out into the field or sending someone off? Skip a meal or skip a day or skip a week? Skip an hour? I don't know. What is it? What does it mean? See, it means that they're serious about what God is doing and they're seeking it out. Verse 4 then says this, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Look at that. It says, the church sent them out, but the two of them sent by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus. I already mentioned to you that, um, that Cyprus is the home of Barnabas. So it's interesting, right? So he goes up and gets Saul. He brings him to Antioch, and then they go then to Cyprus from Antioch to Barnabas' old stomping grounds. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, right? And I want to make a little asterisk here. Note this. John was with them as their helper. So they're not alone, even the two of them. They say, well, they sent those two. No, John went with them as well to help them out on their trip. Also notice that they were preaching in the Jewish synagogues. This is the normative experience of the, of the Apostle Paul and the early church to go to the synagogues first and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the Jews. That's what's been happening. Oh, one more thing about uh, Cyprus, actually, is um, the gospel had been preached there already. Before the missionaries were sent, the gospel had been preached there, but it was preached only to the Jews. That's what had happened. As a matter of fact, some of the people who had heard the gospel in Cyprus came to Antioch and started the church. So the church in Antioch was kind of a church plant from the believers who converted in, in Cyprus when the gospel was preached there. So John goes along as their helper, here we go. Verse, verse 6. They traveled along. Where am I at? Okay. They traveled along through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And if you wonder why it says Bar-Jesus, it means son of Yahshua, son of Jesus, um, which is just a way Bar, whatever. That's how they named uh, people and often referred to them in uh, Israel or in that time. Who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul from 
an intelligent man, right? He had sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. And so I want you to see something in this, that you have a proconsul who is seeking God's wisdom. He's heard that Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas had come, and he's asked Saul and Barnabas to come to him and bring him the word of God right? This would be a very good thing. If you show up in a community and you want to share the gospel and someone says, hey, I want to hear the gospel. Can you come share it with me? <laughs> That's an awesome call to get. And so Saul and Barnabas go uh, to, to the proconsul's um, place. By the way, the proconsul is actually a leading um, a Greek authority, right? So he's in charge. He's the man. He's like, it'd be like the, the mayor or the governor of the area. He would be in charge of the politics of the place. And he wants to hear the word of God. But, look at verse 8. Elamas, the sorcerer, because that's what his name actually means, opposed them, and he tried to turn the proconsul from faith. And so I just want to take a moment here and pause and say that evangelism is spiritual war. Now, I really want to say spiritual warfare, but I couldn't fit it up there. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, um, you, have Paul, or you have Saul and Barnabas who have been anointed with the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, being sent by the Holy Spirit. They get there. The guy wants to hear the gospel. He wants to hear the word of God. And in the middle of this very beautiful, perfect bow tie package deal, he shows up, Paul, Paul, Saul and Barnabas show up, and there's this dude there who does not want the proconsul to believe. I find that shocking. I, I find it shocking. I go, what do you care what he believes, right? Why? What's it matter to you? But the reality is that he had a vested interest. He was a, he was a, a sorcerer. He was someone who had the, the ear of the governor. And for his intended purposes, he did not want the governor to believe. Didn't want him to believe. That's what it says in verse 8. He opposed them, he opposed Paul, uh, Saul and Barnabas, and he tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. He tried to change his mind. And I just want to say this because there's a couple reasons I want to mention it. A lot of times, it, it, maybe you're not like me, I was talking to a friend, and they were saying, man, I've been praying for my neighbors, and I've been trying, but I have not been able to reach one of my neighbors for the gospel. Not one. And I'm like, gosh, it's been years. I'm like, yeah, me neither. You know, like, what's the deal? <laughs> and then I go like, wait, it's spiritual war. I don't think we understand how much resistance there is to the gospel in the world. Are we shocked that people just fall on their face and go, yes, I believe, and we just go, oh, that was easy? Are we surprised there's an enemy who does not want to see the gospel shared. There's an enemy that does not want to see people free in the blood of Christ. There's an enemy that wants to keep people believing you have to earn it. You have to work hard. You have to be better. You have to, you have to do certain things versus God did everything and you're free. The proconsul wanted to hear that. Tell me I'm free. But not the sorcerer. He's like, oh, I don't believe that stuff. That's not for you. A spiritual war. I want to say that as a way of encouragement because if you've been discouraged like I've been discouraged at times people's lack of receptivity to the gospel we should remember it's a spiritual battle you should remember how resistant you were to the gospel before you heard it did you just fall on your face immediately were you like easy for me or did you like go kicking and screaming with a 
thousand reasons not to believe the gospel. The voice in the back of your head, this can't be true, it's not for you, it's for those crazy Christians over there. Like, there's this whole thing that happens, there's this warfare that happens internally, externally, and then a Christian shows up in the middle of it with the audacity of Christ and the Holy Spirit filling them and says, it's Jesus, he died to save you, believe. That's what Paul and Barnabas do. But it's a spiritual war, we should know that. War has costs. Like, it costs Saul and Barnabas to do this. It's not easy or cheap or free, but they're pleased to do it, to honor God that way. Look at verse 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, by the way, thank God. So I'll quit saying Saul, Paul, Saul, Paul. <laughs> From, this is the moment, if you want to mar margin notes there, that's the moment where Paul becomes Paul the rest of the Bible. He's Paul after this, right? Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit again, look, he's still filled, looked straight at Elmias and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop, listen to what the word says, perverting the right ways of the Lord? Right? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. How do you think Paul knew that to tell that dude he's in danger? Do you remember anything about Paul's story? He was against God. Do you remember what Paul did? Took away his sight. Or what God did, took away Paul's sight. Here he says, now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time. Oh, I praise God for a time. Blind for a time, and you'll be unable to see light of the sun. And then immediately he couldn't see. He began to grope around in the dark, right? This is what I want to say. Sometimes we must confront evil. This is one of those weird things where a lot of times we can call everything evil that doesn't agree with how we think the world should be. Oh, that's just evil. You know, what kind of, uh, who you, who, who, like, what team do you root for? Well, that's just evil. <laughs> you know, what kind of uh, M&Ms do you like? That's just evil. Like, that's silly. But there is true evil. There is true evil. And, it, and I can tell you how you define evil. Things that are against God. If it's against God, it's evil. God is good. Everything that's not God is evil. And we ought to know that. And that ought to give us pause in our own lives if we get self-righteous about what we're doing, that we could be against the Lord. Look at what it says. You are a child of the devil, Paul says. Looks right at him. You're an enemy of everything that's right. And you might go, man, why are you being so harsh? Listen to me. We live in a culture right now that, and I'm swimming in it too, so I'm not saying I see above it. I don't see above it. I'm in it, and I desperately need the Holy Spirit and God's guidance and teaching to help me navigate it. Because we live in a culture where every, everything would talk us out of faith, right? Like, like that's what, and, and when, when, when Paul calls him out on it, he says, you are against everything that is right. <laughs> Will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord? Like, that's something you could put on, you know, on a bumper sticker. I wouldn't. <laughs> but, you know, like, that's what we hear, perverting the ways of the Lord. Listen, be for the gospel. And, and there's this idea that anything that's not, anything that's going to be restricted, and you might feel like, well, Saul's being a little harsh here, but let me tell you something. Jesus himself said, woe to you who would keep someone from faith. It would be better that you have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the lake and drowned. It would be better that you were never born, that you would prevent someone from coming to know the truth of the gospel, the power of the kingdom of God. Think Paul took it seriously? Jesus took it super seriously. 
And then we sit back, and I'm just going to say, and we gently kind of go, you know, we're just going to go along to get along. And I know you're talking people out of faith and talking people in the faith. And, you know, people decide what they want to believe. No, it's evil. And it's only because we don't understand the magnitude of the, the stakes that we would sit back so casually and say, well, you preach atheism, and I'll preach Jesus Christ, and he can decide or she can decide what she wants to believe. Yes, that's true. All of us get to decide. I'm not saying that that's not true, but listen, it's evil. The reality is, for the council, the reality is for you and me, to reject Jesus Christ is to condemn our soul eternally to separation from God, to be tortured forever apart from him. We don't talk about that very much. It's a really big deal. And so when Paul turns full of the Holy Spirit and says, looks right at him and says, hey, you are evil. You keep perverting the ways of God. It's a really big deal. I will say this. Before we run out and start rebuking evil on everyone, make sure we're not in the way of the gospel. I mean, at the very least, don't get in the way of the gospel for people, right? People want to believe the gospel. And then if, if we get that down, we're not in the way of the gospel, then maybe we can even encourage people to believe the gospel. That's great. Yes. Isn't Jesus amazing? Right. And then maybe if we get that down, we can actually begin to share the gospel, say, you know, this is what Jesus did for me, and this is the truth of who Jesus is. And we can become proclaimers of the gospel, advocates of the good news of Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit in the spiritual war that we're fighting. Paul says hard, hard things um, here. When, when, should we, when should we then confront evil, right? Because I said we, there are times we should come. This is when. When the Holy Spirit convicts us to do it. I'm not saying we're running around. We're not God, right? But there may be moments in your life, and I hope you hear this today, where you are called to confront someone either very gently and lovingly or very harshly that that's evil and it's not good and it won't end, good, it won't end well for you. And, and when people say, well, why aren't you supposed to be loving? Say, that's loving to tell you the truth, that you are treading on terrifying ground. When you mock God, when you joke or you take light, the Son, Jesus Christ, who God had given that we might be free, and you make light of it, that's terrifying ground. Some of us know John 3.16 says that um, uh, God's love the world, um, whosoever would believe, um, and his son would be saved. But then and 17 and 18 says, people who reject Jesus are already condemned, and people who haven't accepted him have already rejected him. You can read it yourself, right? Paul turns and he rebukes him directly because it's a super, uh, super important issue. Confronts evil. Look at it. Immediately the mist and darkness came over this poor man, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. By the way, can I just say for a moment, and we'll move, that um, praise God that it's for a time. We don't hear any more of this guy's story, bar Jesus, but my prayer is that through the mercy and grace of God that he somehow came to believe and respect the truth of who God is. He stopped perverting the ways of God, right? That he, he took the rebuke and he turned like Saul did and became the apostle Paul. Verse 12, when the proconsul saw that what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So sometimes we're, we're hesitant to confront, right? We don't want to be confrontational. I know some of us don't have that gift, right? But confrontation, confrontation can bring faith sometimes. It can bring faith. And in this case, the proconsul believes because he sees what is interaction with this bar Jesus and Saul. And it leads him to faith. All right. So I'm going to read down a little more here, and we're going to, we're going to finish. We, we're trying to get through 13 here. We'll see how we go. 
From Paphos, Paul and his companions set, sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left. By the way, uh, note that, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. That is John Mark, and that becomes a huge issue, I think, in Acts 15, so much so that Barnabas and, and Saul can't hang out anymore after this. Um, but, but, but he goes back. Uh, to Jerusalem in the middle of the missionary trip. Verse 14, from Perga they went on to Pisidian uh, Antioch, and on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue, as we saw they did before, and they sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak now. Right? And I just want to stop for a second and say, uh, many people are looking for encouragement. Many people are seeking encouragement in life, Right? If you have a good word for me, if you have something encouraging to tell me, I need to hear it now. Come and, and share it. And so it's interesting that when they, at, they were at the synagogue there, they actually invited them to share a good word. They called them out. Brothers, look what it calls them, Adelphos, friends. If you have something positive to say to us, please come up and say it. And Paul does. He says, standing up, Paul motions with his hand, and he says, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God. That's converse to Judaism, right? Listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the pe people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave that land to his people as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet, right? And when the people asked for a king, he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years as King Saul. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and he testified concerning himself, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything that I want him to do. So I'm going to stop there. Basically what Saul stands up and he says, God has been with you for a long time. And that's the word that's true for me and you today right here. It's not exclusive to Israel, right? But God has been in your life for a long time. You're not forgotten and neglected or ignored. God is not absent from his job. You'll notice in that whole series of telling the story, right, he's talking about Israel and their journey and their slavery and all that. He didn't mention it. It's just all in there, you know. But here they are, 450 years God's been with you. He says God's been around for a long time. And in verse 23 now, from this man's de descendants, uh, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. He's like God is keeping his promises to Israel through Jesus Christ. That's the proclamation. That's what he's saying, right? Verse 24, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. And as John was completing uh, his ministry, he said, who do you think I am? I am not the one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, listen to 26, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. And that's our last point here. People are looking for encouragement, right? But we have a gospel or we have a, um, news of salvation, a saving word, right? A saving message. They're like, you know, Saul, Barnabas, can you give us like 10, 25% to encourage us? And he's like, I'll give you more and I'll give you 125%, right? We'll give you the whole good news. That this God who's been pursuing your whole life, he's after you right now. And he's entrusted to us, and look at what it's all inclusive, brothers, children of Abraham, God-fearing Gentiles, it's to us that this message of salvation has been sent. 
The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that were read at every Sabbath gathering, right? Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have Jesus executed. And then they uh, carried him out, uh, then they carried out all that was written about him, and they took him down from the tree, they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. So, so far you have him saying, Jesus is Savior, right? And now he's saying, Jesus was killed according to the prophets, and then Jesus was raised from the dead. They took him down they, they, from the tree, they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and they are now his witnesses to our people. Listen, those who know the gospel are now his witnesses to our people. That's the purpose. That's who the church is. That's what's happening in the book of Acts here. That's what the missionary journeys are about, witnessing to the people of God. We tell you that the good news, this is the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up this Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. And the fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated by these words, I will give, up the holy, or I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David, so it's stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Jesus didn't stay dead. When David had heard, uh, served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is the good news. Forgiveness of sins preached to you. Listen, God's been after you a long time. Listen, God has a purpose for you in your life. There's, there's this big narrative going on, this big spiritual war in your life. And God's after you. And this is forgiveness of sins that's preached to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything that you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And that's exactly what he's saying, right? Like, you can't be right enough. He's in a synagogue preaching this message. You can't be right enough. So then he, so he's talking about forgiveness of sins, right? Talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Talked about the saving, saving grace of Jesus Christ. But then here's one more thing. He says this. This is the fourth thing. Take care that it's not true of you what the prophets have spoken. Look, you scoffers. Wonder and perish. For I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone proclaimed it to you. That's a scary verse of scripture. People go, Whatever. Jesus, God, gospel, right? The, it's crazy that Paul ends with a warning. Be careful that it's not true of you what the prophet has spoken. Look, you scoffers, be amazed and perish. That's terrifying. You will be at once in awe of God and dying at the same time. Because I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you about it. Now, that might sound hopeless, like, well, how do we believe, right? Like, great. <laughs> Paul just says, like, you're doomed. If you scoff at God, you're doomed, right? But look at what the 
opportunity is there. And I want to say to you this morning, the opportunity is here that if you don't know the gospel, if you haven't believed the gospel, that the opportunity is here today, preach to you, forgiveness for your sins, right? All of your sins. That there's nothing you can do to be holy enough for God. There's nothing you can do to please him of your own works. He's not sitting back waiting for you to be good enough so he can say, okay, you can come into heaven too, right? This whole Peter at the gate garbage, man. It's the blood of Jesus Christ poured out over the sanctuary of God that has made right the place of worship that invites people to come in through his body that's a temple to worship him. It's the only way to salvation. But if you believe that, you're invited in. But for those who reject it, they're scoffers and they're going to fulfill prophecy and they're going to perish because of their, their scoffing at God. But look at the response. Lest you become hopeless in 42, and lest we become hopeless in sharing the gospel. Look, man. They go in and preach this crazy message. And this is what happens. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to come back and talk about it more next week, as they said, in the next Sabbath. That means they sent their fruit. They did this, by the way. When the, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas out of the synagogue, and they began to talk with them. And as they talked with them, they urged them to continue in the grace of God. That means if you don't understand it yet, if you don't, my, my word to you is the same as Paul and Barnabas, right? Keep continuing the grace of God. But know you're in the grace of God, right? Keep seeking the Lord. You remember the proconsul, he wanted to hear the good news. Tell me the good news. Help me understand the good news. Keep seeking the Lord. He said, continue, urge them to continue in the grace of God. And on the next Sabbath, almost the entire town gathered to hear the good news. Look at that. It's amazing. Next Sunday, the church was packed, right? I'm not saying it because I'm a pastor. Like, that's crazy. People, some people wanted to hear the word. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. They're not going along. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we, have to, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Now here's what happens. Since you reject the word of God and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now will turn to the Gentiles. Because this is what the Lord has commanded for us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the very ends of the earth. Fulfillment of the promises of God for his people, right? Here's the irony. The Jews rejected salvation. The Gentiles get salvation. There are people who don't hear the gospel. Guess what? You move on, someone else hears the gospel. They lose eternal life over it, but someone else gains eternal life because of it. That's crazy to me, but that's what it says. Because of the rejection, we'll move on and preach the good news to the very ends of the earth. In verse 48 now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they, yeah, they were, <laughs> and they honored the Lord, the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed to eternal life believed, man, that those that God was calling out of the church and calling out of the world like believe the good news of jesus christ gentiles were happy as all get out man praise the lord i just want you to think about that for a minute i don't even know what this means but the reality is that if all the jews just believe the gospel off the top i wouldn't be a believer today if Saul and Barnabas hadn't been forced to go out and preach the good news to the Gentiles, if they had been satisfied to preach it amongst the believing circles and everyone got it the first time, if the road was that smooth, the gospel would never come to me. But praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the difficulty in preaching the gospel, that it would fall, that the bread would fall on the floor, and I would eat it. A beggar like me don't deserve the table of the Lord. So the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole area. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they threw them out of the region. So they said, come back next week. And then they said, no, nah, you're out of here. But look at this. 
So Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off of their feet in protest against those that I, and, and uh, went to Iconium. Like, they're like, we're out of here. <laughs> this is the day that you refuse Jesus. This is the day that you refuse to believe the gospel. And they dusted themselves off and they said, we're going. And they went. That seems a little crazy, doesn't it? That seems like a terrible Christian attitude, but it's terrifying. There's this idea that this dirt's going to testify against you. That today salvation came to your house and you rejected it. And the disciples were filled with joy and they were full of the Holy Spirit. God continues to move. I don't know if you, I don't know if you believe the good news. It's a big deal. And not because, and I, you know, man, this is the beautiful thing about being the church and sending people out and trusting God's big sovereign plan and the kingdom he's building. Because the reality is that if you're believing in Jesus Christ, you're saved. That's it. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you believe that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. That's it. You're going to be with God forever, and the work of the gospel is done. Now, the question is then, do you live into that as a Christian? Do you do some of the things we've talked about today? But if you reject Jesus, you're condemned, right? And it's a big deal. It's a big enough deal that, that, that Paul was willing to confront somebody and then willing to dust off his sandals and say, this is going to be a testimony against you. You've rejected the very son of God. If that's you today, I encourage you not to be that guy or girl, right? Don't. Don't. And you know what the thing is? People, I just heard this this morning. Somebody said, you get to hear gospel every Sunday. Just come back next Sunday, you'll hear it again. Maybe. Maybe. We're going to church camp next week. We're going to, we're going to share with kids, right? They can come to church camp next week, right? Or next year. They can come back next year. They can hear the gospel again, right? Right? Maybe. Or maybe this is the last time. Maybe you will never hear it again. And maybe in our hard heart and our scoffing at God, we say, I don't need Jesus. Right? And God goes, okay. All those who are appointed for salvation believe. It's a big deal. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God's Holy Spirit would work. I'm going to pray that it would be a God thing, not a man thing. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, the power of your Holy Spirit, the truth of your gospel, Father God, and the reality that this kingdom is coming and that it is not upon us to build it, but you and your blood and your spirit, your power, that you are doing the work amongst your people. Pray, Father God, that we would recognize the goodness of Jesus Christ, his mercy and grace, even rebuke, and that we would stop if there are ways that we are thwarting the gospel, if there are ways that we're turning people away from the gospel, we would stop doing that. We would become winsome to the gospel. That we would uh, believe it ourselves and at least make it available and celebrate when people believe. It would be encouragers of the faith, Father God, by the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory, Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way with your church. Have your way in us. And Father, if there's those who are rejecting you today, I pray really seriously that that would be given a lot of weight because it's not about me and it's not about the church it's not about all those people who screwed up Christianity Father it's about you and your sacrifice for us that we could be free I pray if there's someone here that's convicted this morning by the Holy Spirit to believe the gospel they would not reject but believe by your power that that would happen may be made known among the nations Father God may be glorified and may we be faithful Christian leaders amongst this area and this region. May you be glorified. We thank you so much for the opportunity to preach, to understand, to hear, to worship, and to celebrate you together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.